I have only seen like one photo of you. And it was, you know, a work uh, photo, very professional. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think in the, the the entrepreneurship startup community now, everything's very polished and I have to be very careful about the stupid things I put on online. So <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I'm full of stupid things online. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Shiny Epi People. I'm Lisa Bodner. Today, I'm speaking with Erica Braithwaite. Erica earned her PhD in epidemiology and biostatistics from McGill University. Erica received tremendous training at McGill, but she felt that academia wasn't the right place for her. So she went against the grain and decided to be an entrepreneur. She and a fellow graduate of Epi Biostats at McGill co-founded a startup called Precision Analytics. The company specializes in analytics and data visualization in the biopharmaceutical sector. They provide expertise in study design, predictive modeling and causal inference analytics, and customized software platforms for health data science. We know that academic jobs are dwindling and epidemiologists need to consider other career paths. Entrepreneurship is one of those paths. After Haley Bannock was on the podcast, she suggested I talk with Erica because of Erica's unique experience. And I'm so glad I connected with her because she not only describes the mechanics of how she got to her current position and what her company does, she also shares the crisis she had during her doctoral training when she realized that academia wasn't for her and how she had to go through a dark time in order to find her way to where she would be happiest. As with all of the wonderful guests I've had on this show, Erica gave me so much interesting information that I wish I could include in this episode. So if you're interested in looking into entrepreneurship, do a YouTube search on Erica Braithwaite, and you'll see her speak in more detail about her work. I hope you enjoy this chat. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is going to be really fun. I'm really excited about this. I thought it was a, an interesting ask because I was like, oh, am I epi? How epi am I? Yeah, why don't you think you're epi? I guess because I jumped ship. I came from a super academic background and I went to a school that really emphasized and pushed and valued like that traditional academic path. It felt like a deviation into the the dark side. Really? Yeah, because I I came from social epidemiology and I... I loved it. I love social policy. I love thinking about issues and disparities and, and the things in the world that like matter to me a lot, like including race, especially. And to start a consultancy that was like pretty geared into like biotech and, and the biopharma spectrum, which was obviously outside of my, my research background, felt, uh, yeah, a bit treasonous. The podcast that I recorded with Haley, we spent most of the time discussing how your career choices can really disappoint people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how terrible that can feel. Yeah. When you were in the middle of training or when you were, you know, started out your PhD, did you have a sense of what your career was going to look like after that? Just think starting, I think like most people, you know, you come in 
Like I was bright eyed, bushy tailed. I thought I'd have like this really bright academic career because I really did love research. And I, that actually hasn't changed quite honestly, but I think midway I had like a complete existential crisis and and really? it was like multifaceted. Like I had sort of given up my identity and, and put all of my self-worth into school. And then I realized I was like, oh, wow, this isn't making me happy. But if I'm not this, then I'm nothing. Right. And that that was like a really deeply um, depressing <laughs> time for me mm-hmm. because then I was like, well, what next? I can't I can't leave a Ph.D. halfway through. No one gives a fuck about half of a Ph.D. It's not a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to blow my brains out if I have to continue years of this when I'm so miserable. And so it was very difficult. Like I hated writing. I was like, oh, wow, that's like kind of the big part of the job. <laughs> and I was like, dang, oh. it doesn't really play on my strengths. <laughs> and then I realized what my strengths really were. And like at the, while I was uh, during my PhD, I was like tutoring and doing freelance consulting. And I was like, I love working with people. I love solving people's problems. And I want to like hold you with your data and just like soothe your research problems. There's a very, I like this anecdote a lot about, I went to the career kind of center that most universities have and they build you a matrix where they lay out sort of like five domains uh, like of employment. So like government, academic, nonprofit, industry, um, and entrepreneurship. And so I went through and we, you know, you just talk about like, do you like money? Do you like risk? Do you like freedom of thought and that autonomy? And I was like, I want autonomy. I want buttloads of money. (laughs) I don't care about security. And so we had gone through this like process of elimination and the, the, the career advisor was like, oh, you should be an entrepreneur. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And you've been terribly unhelpful. And I just like <laughs> left and I, I dropped the idea because I had no model or framework to even conceive what that would look like. If I had gone to my advisor and been like, how do I start a company? <laughs> like, he would have been like, get out. Here's the door. <laughs> and, and rightfully so. It's not there. It's, it's not where their training is. They can't give advice about that. So like hearing about other people's paths is important, but everyone needs, everyone only has their own path and and like looking outwards to understand where you need to go next, I think is a a path to being unhappy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You you, you sort of have to look at your own life and your own strengths and, and what you enjoy and make the decisions from there. Like making decisions that you know that the people you respect aren't, wouldn't do and, um, mm-hmm. and not being able to really justify it besides it'll make me happy. And for a lot of people, that's not enough. You know, you mm-hmm. tell them what you decided and they're like, oh, but like, you could have done this safer thing. You could have done this more lucrative thing. Like, couldn't you find happiness outside of that? Couldn't you find a regular job and then, I don't know, quilt or something? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, quilting no. sucks. <laughs> I hate that. So, yeah. So like, I had to decide what my values were and where I wanted to put my energy and the sacrifices I was willing to make. And it turns out that, you know, the sacrifices I I was willing to make are not the same as other people and that's okay. Then I stumbled through my PhD and what what does that mean stumbled through? Like I I just couldn't publish anything. Like I just couldn't I couldn't I couldn't do all the things that you're supposed to do. And I loved working with people and I was like working on the side on, on other projects that I loved. 
every time I had to write and think about like publication, and it wasn't just that I was bad at it. I think I didn't believe in the mechanism. You know, my thesis was about like health disparities uh, resulting from mass incarceration in the US. And so I was really interested Mm. in like social policy and like the sentencing policies that led to health disparities. And it was just like, hey, spoiler alert, this is bad for black people. (laughs) Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. Peace out. Does does anyone, who cares? Ah, yes, I do. It it was both the skill set that you felt like maybe a little uncomfortable with a part of it. And then also you wanted to make more of an impact. Yeah. And I needed to see the end user of what I was doing. Like, I think Mm -hmm. I need to see a face in front of me. When you work with people who are not strong in statistics and and you have that gentle touch and, you know, when you can help them, like the eyes light up and they're so grateful. And I was like, I think I need this kind of like daily, hourly positive reinforcement. It's so lovely that you figured it out early. And I think I, I say that now with with a lot of like pride, but at the time it felt like I was at the depths of confusion and, and sadness. I, I lived a lot of anxiety. It, it wasn't a, a good space. And I think my mother had told me during these times of confusion and loss and darkness, it's just like the universe lining up the things that where you're heading and you can't know that. And I couldn't have known until I finished. And and now that I started a company and having these credentials, they did open a lot of doors. So it was all for something. But you know, for several years I had no clue what this was all going to bring me. It was very hard. So Erica, the reason that I wanted to have you on is because you're the co-founder and CEO of an analytics company. And that's just fucking cool. <laughs> Your job is like 100 times cooler than my job. <laughs> just like, I hate to burst the bubble, but like, I left academia and I was like, I'm never writing a grant again. And I like sassed my way out. <laughs> I ran grants all the fucking time. Okay. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's really similar. Oh, yeah. But it seems uh, like the other parts of it really nurture you in a way that academia couldn't. Yeah. That's, that's 100% true. And I feel more myself than I ever have. And it's still stressful. I have, you know, no job stability. Like, you know, I see all my friends who who chose the academic track and all of my friends turned out to be extremely successful, which is like really annoying when you feel like a hot piece of shit. And so <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it so much. But like, yeah, the comparison is really difficult, but I, I'm still happy. Do you feel like you're a hot piece of shit now or that you just have less security? Yes, both. Both? Really? What is that about, Erica? You have you're like a co-founder and a CEO of something. It's a multifaceted thing where I didn't pick a path where, you know, the next 5 years were sort of laid out for me like, you know, I, I think about my friends who are on the tenure track and their strategy is about moving towards that path and I'm really impressed by them and when you're running a startup, it's like where is my ass in my face tomorrow? And, and I think it's just a lot more grit that like pulls us through rather than having like a whole institution that tells us like we can't be fired. Like I could be fired tomorrow. Like, I could fire myself. The, the insecurity is real. Yeah, that must be scary. Yeah. But I spoke to my career advisor and she was like, how do you feel about risk? And I think it's like, I think I love it. So I guess I made the right choice. It's so strange to me that you feel like you're a hot piece of shit. <laughs> Like, what in the world is up with that? 
you're successful. It was, I remember in my PhD feeling, feeling really dumb. And I did myself a favor by sort of online dating and, and having that be a way to meet people outside of my, my circle. And I was like seeing this one guy and I was complaining about how dumb I felt. And he was like, have you ever spoken to someone without a PhD? Like when was the really the last (laughs) time you had a conversation with Mm. someone who wasn't as or more smart as you? I was like, ah, yes. But then like we've created these like tight circles. Absolutely. Of equally or more smart people. So what does your company do? It was a bit of a journey. Catherine Morrison is my co-founder, and she's a fellow PhD from the EPI program at McGill. And we were both freelance consulting. We we just started building like a, a stronger client base. Then we ended up sort of getting into more like the technical work. Like people would come with their data and, and say like, oh, I need this model. And we're like, well, show me your data. And it would be like an issue box. And I was like, okay, well, first we're going we're gonna to build you a database. And so we... It, it slowly morphed, um, unbeknownst to us, into like a software company. And so it's a blend between like building software that's like uh, storage and analytics and viz, and then having like completely bespoke for each client. So it's heavy on the consulting and, and really not a kind of black box tool. Who comes to you with questions? Insanely smart people who are just lacking sort of like the quote unquote data science department. So we end up being kind of like an outsourced data science department. We have software developers on the team, statisticians, epidemiologists, and then people with like math and stats backgrounds. So together we make like a person who probably doesn't exist. Could you give me an example of a project that kind of came from start to finish and maybe why you're proud of it or why that's the kind of thing that you love? One of our first clients came to us with genetics data. So it's like terabytes and terabytes of of data of like DNA strings. And he came to us and was like, I tried to open it in Excel and it crashed my computer. <laughs> We're like, okay. Whoa. So, okay. <laughs> and so it was like this really big technical problem of like massive amounts of data and they were generating tons of it all the time. And so they needed really specialized data pipelines and analytics and they were doing sort of cancer, like drug discovery. And so lots of sort of like novel statistical algorithms that they wanted. And it turned out to be sort of like a research tool for their entire team where they enter data, extract data, see their analysis, have different kinds of reporting systems. So, you know, the CEO gets to see how the whole company is performing and different departments have sort of their own versions of the platform. And so we're still working with them and it makes me incredibly proud because I think we've really helped transform and like systematize their workflows and, you know, reduce errors and increase efficiency. So I'm really proud. How do you get your name out there? How do people know about you? A lot of word of mouth. We've been really lucky. I think we have a really strong network of people we've worked with who are really good at like spreading our name. And yeah, we're, we're just really lucky. We've just been so fortunate. Yeah. And I don't think it's luck. I think that it is skill. We women like to call it luck when it's not, right? It's not luck. You've got what it takes. Do you work tons of hours? No. No. Oh. Catherine and I decided that balance was key. Uh, overtime is not allowed. If we allowed one person to do it, it, would, it cr- could create like inequity in the team if people felt guilty and needed to felt like they were overcompensated or overcompensating to work extra. So it was, it was like, no one is allowed to work uh, evenings or weekends. Wow. What an awesome model. 
Yes. Run by two women. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Balance. <laughs> what makes Catherine a good teammate? Oh, she's just like my wife. She's just like everything. We're, we're just at this point so merged. She's smarter than me in every single way. We are great at communicating. I think we see eye to eye, but then we were able to push each other and disagree. And yeah, and she's like loves what she does too. So that helps. We're both really happy. And like a, a champion, right? Like it's a, your sanity checker. It's you're like, is this email gaslighting me? And I need someone like mm-hmm. to be like, yes, that person is gaslighting you. I'm like, thank you. Like you just need those moments. I want to go on to the fun stuff. Oh, excellent. What old person things do you do? Complain. Is that an old person thing? I complain about things that don't matter. I'm just like, I hate mulled wine. It's so stupid. (laughs) Just gratuitous complaining. Anything else? No, I think in every other way, I'm very immature. (laughs) (laughs) So no. (laughs) What's the longest you've gone without sleep and why? Uh, it was an exam during my undergrad. Um, again, in Montreal, sometimes we have these like insane snowstorms and the exam was at 9am. And so we, I stayed from the morning and like in my undergrad, like in psychology, it was like pretty competitive. And so like everyone just used to do drugs. And so we, we made these like cocktails of like cold medicine <laughs> like for the, for the Tudafedrin <laughs> and Advil and then caffeine pills. So your stomach mm-hmm. hurts a lot. And so then I stayed up all day, all night and all day. Um, <gasps> Whoa, that's long. What? Is that like 40 some hours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How'd you do on the test? Probably amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I mention the drugs? <laughs> When you see a picture of a friend's newborn baby, what percent of the time are you lying when you say the baby is cute? 100%. (laughs) I'm so glad you were honest. And the people who know me the best know that about me. And Uh their favorite thing is to watch me meet a new baby (laughs) because they'll know that I'm contorting my face. It's a small human. I don't know how to help you. Oh, you were the perfect person to ask that. <laughs> yes. Winter or summer? Summer. You live in Montreal. I know. It makes no sense. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to say that. Um, do you camp? And if so, what's wrong with you? I would sooner die. Same. <laughs> I would sooner die than spend out time outside in the dirt. And you have to like pack things and unpack things. It's very laborious. I have fewer of my favorite makeup items. Like, I don't know why (laughs) I would do that on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Who wants to poop and have to make a hole and then carry the poop out with you? I'm not even going to have this conversation with you. We're done here. (laughs) We're done. done. Moving on. We're done. I bet you have a junk TV of choice. Uh, it's really sad, but I, I only watch three shows and I just watch them on a loop. Okay. And so it's like Parks and Rec, 30 Rock and The Office. And I'll never need <laughs> any new content for the rest That's of it. my life. <laughs> okay. Is it especially good now because it's sort of like nostalgic? Yeah. Like a time when things were a little happier? Yeah. Yeah. No, I <laughs> like, I'll never get tired of it. 
Um, big party or small gathering? I'm going to guess. May I guess? Sure. Your big party, right? Uh, no, I think I'm small gathering. I think I like like going and like connecting with people and like it's not uncommon for me to get to a place with a new person and be like, so your mother said what to you? And like really go deep <laughs> into yeah. like people's trauma. I think people leave upset when they talk to me because they're just like, why did I say that to you? <laughs> I have a lot of people who say to me like, I've never told anyone that before. <laughs> like, I don't know you. Like, it's beautiful. I love it. Would you rather have edible spaghetti hair that regrows every night or sweat maple syrup? Spaghetti hair. Why? I feel like I'm already a very sweaty person. And to imagine more stickiness, I I, no, it's spaghetti hair for sure. But like the spaghetti hair, like noodles are also sticky. Think of the bees that would gravitate to you if you (laughs) sweat an animal's. So no, <laughs> it's my final answer, Lisa. <laughs> but then your your sweat would be not stinky, but it would be everywhere. And like, think of the acne. <laughs> and I couldn't put makeup okay. on top of it. No, I I could go on forever about why I'm right about this. Okay. All right, but also I just must say the animals are going to come to you with spaghetti hair. It's not that you're going to get away from the animals. But the bugs would be gravitating towards the honey, and that's grosser. All right. That's fine. (laughs) You like raccoons eating your hair. That's fine. Great. (laughs) Erica, I'm so glad that we talked because I think that your role right now in your career trajectory is so inspiring, I think, especially to women. We need more paths from a PhD in epidemiology. I think you're setting a great example. I think that if more trainees knew about the type of work that you're doing, even, you know, they don't have to be the founder of a company, but they can look for opportunities like this and grow into a position. And and hopefully that makes people feel less angst while they're in their study. Because even if they end up in academia, it would be nice if they just had the confidence to be like, I have options, like this insecurity of me not being good at it. Like you can end up at different tier universities. You can be a lecturer. Like there's so many different things. And I think the failure of the system is just not telling people all the options they have. If I had to scream from the rooftop to all my fellow PhDs and especially to the women, I want to shake them and say, you can do so much. Stop underselling yourself. Fucking ask for more money. And whatever you think the highest number is, double it. Because... Women are really terrible at knowing their own worth. Apply for that job, even though you don't have 100% of the qualifications, because I swear to you, you're probably more qualified than you think you are. Take everyone's money, for fuck's sakes. Stop asking for $5 (laughs) when you like interview for a job. That's so great. I'm, I'm really grateful that you would take an hour out of your day to talk. Thank you. This was a true pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. much fun. <laughs> this is a great podcast. <laughs> a great idea. I'm really glad you did this. I'm so glad that Haley suggested you. I was she suggested you and then I was like, but Haley, I need someone fun. Like 
I can't have like I can try to like squeeze blood out of a rock, but like <laughs> really hard. And especially in these early episodes, I want to like build momentum mm-hmm. of like this is fun. Like we have a good time here. <laughs> she was like, Erica is great. And I was like, okay, 